Welcome to the Soda Baptist Church podcast. This message is part of the teaching ministry of Soda Baptist Church in Livingston, Texas. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged to grow closer in your walk with Christ through this message. We invite you to check out our website at www.sodabaptist.org for more information about our church. This morning, I want to again focus on the one person in the world that has changed everything. And that one person would be the man, Jesus Christ. I really wanted to preach last week on this subject that that I was about to preach on this morning. Uh, uh, How uh, the, well, I was going to look at, at John, the book of John, and look at the seven different miracles in the book of John, if you'll look in the book of John, and, and if you'll look at all the miracles that are announced in the Gospels, there's only 37 miracles in the Gospels that are mentioned. Some of those miracles are repeated, you know, through the Gospels. But in the Gospel of John, there are only eight miracles. There's only eight miracles that are performed. Seven of those miracles is what, are what we would call a sign miracle. In other words, there's a difference between, and you've heard this statement before, I'm sure, signs and wonders. How many of you ever heard that statement? Talking about what what happens in the the Christian faith, that they were sent signs and wonders. It's happened all the way from the beginning. But when we get to the book of John, John only mentions signs. Okay? Now, I'm trying not, and, and, and I kind of preface saying that we're, uh, this church is a little deeper in the scriptures than, than most churches I've pastored. And I, I'm hoping that I'm able to go here this morning. Jesus Christ, when he came, he proved that he was who he said he was by performing signs and wonders. Now, when you see a wonder, it makes you wonder. There you go. Hey, right on the spot. I mean, you see something and you go, oh, well, I want you to know Jesus done that many, many, many times. As a matter of fact, when you go to the very last chapter in the book of John, right toward the very end, it tells us there, if, they, if we had recorded all of the things that Jesus done, the world would not be able to contain the books in which of all the miracles that he had performed, all of the wonders that he performed. So I'm not saying anything. I'm telling you, wonders were just things that he would do every day. Signs were different, though. Signs were different in that. And, and if you were here last Sunday, you remember that we spoke on the very first miracle that Jesus performed. And if you'll remember, I talked about the water pots at the wedding. There was six water pots sitting over here. And these water pots were empty. And those water pots were what they put water in for the purification or the religious practice of the law. And in this miracle, Jesus said, okay, you go fill these empty pots back up with water. These pots were empty. And and see, this miracle that he performed was not just a miracle that he turned water into wine. But he was doing something that had a specific 
sign, a specific purpose behind it. Okay? In that, he took that purification water, which was now gone, which represented the law. He had them fill them back up with water. And when they served it, the water had turned to wine. Now, what was the significance there? The significance was that Jesus Christ came to enact a new covenant. When Jesus at the Last Supper, He says, This wine is my blood of the new covenant. So this miracle that He performed was not just something that everybody went, Oh, wow. This miracle that He performed was a miracle, but this miracle was also something that said, Listen, guys. I am teaching you something spiritual as a result of it. You understand what I'm saying? That's the difference between signs and wonders. The signs had a specific meaning, spiritual meaning behind it, and the wonders were to prove to, who, to the world who Jesus was. So all through the Scriptures, all through the Scriptures, we see lots and lots of wonders But when you get to the book of John, he only gives these seven miracles, and each one of these miracles have a sign associated with them. So we're going to kind of look at that this morning, speaking about signs and wonders. And listen, I have got another whole message on the, 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 well, the message of signs and wonders that I, I just don't have time to, to do this morning. I, if the Lord leads me to preach on it next Sunday, I would love to preach on it. Because I'm telling you, uh, the scripture that I'm fixing to read here in just a minute will tell you that God uses the foolishness of preaching today to get His message across. Okay? And, and I know there's a... There's all kinds of signs and wonders, uh, messages out there, and all kinds of signs and wonders, movements out there, and, and uh, I'm not going to get into that at this time, but I want you to know the Scripture tells us that God uses the foolishness of preaching to get the message across today. So we're going to look at that here in just a few minutes. All right. Uh, before I begin, I want to, and I don't know how many of you have done this, if you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and someone asked, well, I wonder why God didn't just write, have someone write one book of the Gospels. Well, I want you to know, if you look at the entirety of each book, each book addresses Jesus Christ in a completely different manner. For example, when you go to the book of Matthew, you go to the book of Matthew, you'll notice the first couple of chapters in the book of Matthew talk about the lineage of Jesus Christ. It gives his whole lineage, and his lineage goes back to Abraham. doesn't go all the way back to Adam. goes back to Abraham, and it talks about who he is. And the whole book of Matthew speaks about Jesus being the son of David, and that Jesus was royal uh, genealogy and talks about who Jesus was as the king or he is the future king and is going to sit on the throne of David. The whole book is encompasses that. The whole book of Matthew. Now, the book of Mark addresses Jesus 
as a servant. If you will notice when you read the book of Mark, the book of Mark has nothing to do with Jesus' birth. It speaks of how he was uh, submitted unto God. It speaks how he was a servant of God, how he came to earth because God has called him here. The whole book of Mark speaks about the servanthood of God. Something completely different. Mark, then Luke, when we look at Luke, oh my goodness, the book of Luke, we, that's where we get our Jesus being born, the wise men. Man, we read about the whole birth process of Jesus. But now listen, the first one when we talked about Matthew, it took his genealogy all the way back to Abraham, and it talks there about how Jesus is the king to come. It talks about how he is the royal blood for the lineage of David. But let me tell you, when we look at the book of Luke, when it gives his genealogy, it goes through his mother Mary, and it goes all the way back to Adam. Huh. Now, listen, I want you to know, this is not something that just jumps off the page when you sit there and read these books. But when you study and you see how these books are divided up, the first one tells us that Jesus is royalty uh, as far as the earth is concerned. The second book tells us that Jesus is a servant. The third book tells us that Jesus is the Son of Man. He was born of woman, coming through Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. I mean, it tells us that Jesus Christ is man. The book of John, and that's what we're going to look at some this morning. The book of John talks about how Jesus Christ is deity. How he is deity. It tells us that how Jesus is the Son of God, how he is divine, how he is the creator of the world, how that he is, and he is identified when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is called... I am. Oh my goodness, where do we read those words again? Way back in the book of Exodus when Jesus Christ, or when God confronts Moses and Moses says, Well, who will I say sent me? And he says, You tell them, I am sent you. And Jesus Christ is identified as I am in the book of John. So, let's just, this is kind of heavy stuff. You know what heavy? When, when someone preaches heavy stuff, you know what happens a lot of times? People get sleepy. I don't want us to get sleepy because I, I'm telling you, this is some important stuff. This is some important stuff. So what we see in the Gospels, we see that Jesus Christ is the Messiah going to be the King to come. He is that. He is the servant of God. He will humble himself to come as our, to be our Savior. He is the Son of Man. And he is also the Son of God. In the Gospels, that's what we see. All right? Now, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. I want you to know chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I stood right here, and I've been praying. I've been praying ever since I put this sermon together. I've been praying. I said, okay, God, I need to make the connection between the Scriptures that I'm reading in 1 Corinthians and what I'm going to read out of the book of John. I'm wanting to make that connection so bad. I hope that you're able to see the connection 
that I'm wanting to make this morning. Because the only reason that the world recognizes Jesus Christ as all of these things that I've just mentioned, it is because He came and performed these signs and wonders, proving who Jesus Christ was. There is no denying that Jesus Christ came to this world. There is no denying it. We could throw every Bible out of the, out of the, off of the earth, and there is still enough social and uh, secular literature out there that proves Jesus Christ, and not only that, but proves the things that He done miraculously. There's books that describe this man Jesus that came and He raised the dead and He healed the sick. Even without the Scriptures, they could tell that He has to be from God. Remember John three, uh, Matthew chapter 3, when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and he said, Listen, uh, we can't deny. We know you are from God because no man can do the things that you're doing except he be from God. When, when we talk about Jesus, most people, when we say the word Jesus, they think about the Christmas portion of it and they think about the Easter portion of it and they leave all of this other stuff out. Let, I, I'm here to say this morning, man, Jesus is everything. What did that slide say a while ago? Is that what it said? It's all about Jesus. I'm telling you, it's all about Jesus. Jesus is everything. The sign out there says something about you can never praise Jesus enough. We, I'm telling you. And the thing is, is I don't think we recognize it. I know we sometimes just flippantly through the week we might talk about church or we might talk about Jesus. Let me tell you, Jesus is the most important thing that we could ever talk about. That's a, that's a name that should fall off of our lips daily and not just once or twice, but all the time. It's something that should be mentioned. So when I read this here in 1 Corinthians, I, I want to kind of go slow through these scriptures for just a minute and then we're going to transition over into the book of John and look at these seven miracles. Start with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 17. And I, and I want to kind of go through this kind of slowly. Notice, notice what it says. It says, For Christ, and this is talking, this is, this is Paul that's speaking. For Christ sent me not to baptize. I'm going to stop right there. I want you to know if the most important thing you could do to receive salvation was to be to get baptized, God would have sent Paul to baptize. I want you to know you can get dunked and dunked and dunked, and you, all you're going to do is come up wet. Baptism is not salvation. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit coming inside of you is salvation through believing that Jesus Christ died and that He rose again for our sins. That is what salvation is based on. So look what it says. Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel. Did y'all hear that? God sent Paul to preach the gospel, that Jesus Christ came, He died on the cross for our sins, that He rose again three days later. That is the gospel. But to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. This is what he said. I want you to know, Paul was not an attractive man. As a matter of fact, some of the descriptions that it tells us of Paul, Paul was a little old humpbacked man, and he was not very tall. And even when we read in the book of Corinthians, he was not very eloquent in his speech. 
Matter of fact, it kind of tells us that when he got to Corinth, some of the people were kind of disappointed when they saw him. They said, man, you write a pretty tough letter, but when you show up, there ain't much to you, little fella. And he said, listen, when Paul came, he says, I didn't speak with much eloquence. He was not a very good speaker. And the reason is, he says, because I didn't want to take away from the cross, the message of the cross. Listen, power is in the message of the cross. It's not in the presenter. The power is not in the presenter. Now, sometimes someone who can explain something a lot better makes it easier to understand. The power is not in the presenter. The power is in the Word of God. The power is in the gospel of Jesus Christ and who He is. Look at verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. For the preaching of the cross, for someone to stand up and get up and speak about the cross and talk about Jesus and how He died on the cross, how He rose again, I want you to know to those who do not believe that, that's foolishness to them. I I was talking to a guy this week, and and he said, I can't remember the word this guy called me. But he basically called me a fanatic. He says, every time I talk to you, all you want to talk about is Jesus. Why don't you just give that mess up? To those who perish, listen, to those who perish, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. I'm telling you, the most important message that you can give anyone is to tell them about Jesus. So let's go on. For the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness, But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Now, if you notice in that scripture, it says, For it has been written. Let me... If you go back there, I'm not going to look it up. Go back to Isaiah chapter 29 and verse number 14. This was what was going on back then. What was going on back then, the Israelites were in a bind. And the wise men came and said, Listen, for you to depend upon God in this situation is not wise. I'm telling you, pack your bags, go to Egypt, because that's where the food is. That's where the protection is. Don't listen to these preachers. Don't listen to this people that that put uh, God as a crutch. Leave. He is saying the the wisdom of this world has come to naught. You listen to secular TV. You listen to the secular news. And they'll tell you the only way you're going to make it in this world is if you get on the stock market and you invest your money, you invest your time here, you raise your children this way, you send them to this prestigious school, you do this and you do that. You keep listening to them, and the wisdom of this world is going to fail. Okay, I'll I'll cover your toes up. When When we are more concerned about how well our children catch fish, or how how much better time, or or how much Uh, influence our kids have in baseball or football or soccer or ping pong and we invest hour after hour after hour during the week to have them learn a skill like that that is going to end nowhere 
And we do not invest them even in Sunday school or even in Wednesday night service or even in youth ministry. Let me tell you, we're taking our kids down a road that's not going to last. This, this is the book for eternity. And, and, and listen, I love education. I wished I had more education. But education of this world is going to end. We need to invest more in this. Do not dwell on the wisdom of the world. He tells us right here. He says, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And He has. Verse 21. For after that, this wisdom of the world... In the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. In other words, these guys that keep coming to you and say, listen, invest your money here. Do this. Send your kid over here. What he tells us right here, he says this. He says, the world by wisdom knew not God. I promise you, send your kids to the best college. They're not going to teach your children about God at college. I dare say, and I'm not saying all of them, okay? I dare say when them little boys get in that football huddle, that, that coach is not telling them about how great God is and the miracles that he performed. When he goes to that baseball field, he says, keep your eye on the ball. He's not telling them that Jesus saves. I had no intentions on preaching this this morning, I promise. Not, not the direction I'm going. I remember, and this may be the day that you need to do it, I remember when those planes hit the World Trade Centers, we'd watch that, and my two boys came back from school that day, I set them down on the couch, I said, boys, I do not know what tomorrow holds, we may be in World War III tomorrow. They may be sending you a draft notice tomorrow. I need to know. Do you know Jesus? Do you know who He is? Or have you just been going through the motions all your life? I need to know. Have I been a good enough father to tell you that this is the most important thing in all the world? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Look what else it says in verse 21. Let's start back from verse 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. You do not learn about God from the world is basically what he's saying. But it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. When someone stands and preaches the gospel... That Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, came to this earth willingly on His own free will. And He gave His life on the cross, dying for our sins. And they put Him in the grave. And of His own power, He rose from the grave, overcoming death in the grave. And when we believe that, preaching of the gospel, it is that gospel whereby men can be saved. Most important thing in all the world. Most important thing in all. 
It pleased God by the foolishness, the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That believe. Now look at this next verse. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. And Paul can just very well say this right here. He says, but, in other words, we're not doing the signs and we're not doing the wisdom thing, but we preach Christ crucified. And when we preach Christ crucified to the Jews that require a sign, it says, and to the Jews it's a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. So when I stand here this morning and I say that the preaching of the gospel is foolishness, I want you to know it is the foolishness to those who do not believe. Let me tell you, I, man, I pray this morning that you do not walk out of here this morning not believing what Jesus Christ has done. And, and I am not talking about a half-hearted believing in your head. I'm talking about a point to where you believe to the point that it changes your life because you realize what Jesus Christ has done for you. And then you choose to walk after Him and become Christ-like. Well, I, I won't chase that rabbit. Verse 24 says, But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God... And the wisdom of God. The foolishness of preaching is what calls men to be saved. Now go back to John chapter 1 with me real quick. Not chapter 1. Uh, John chapter 2 right quick with me. And this is the connection. My goodness, it's late. This is the connection. The belief that we put in Jesus Christ and the gospel. Jesus Christ came from heaven, submitted himself to become a man, born of a woman, lived a perfect life, gave his life on the cross so that we might be saved. This man, Jesus Christ, the way he proved who he said he was, was through the signs and wonders that he performed. I'm not going into great detail, but in the book of John, it defines to us, and I remember, if you remember, I talked about the book of John, teaches us that he is deity, that he is the Son of God. I want you to look at these few miracles and identify that Jesus Christ is who we believe. I've already gone over this first miracle, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. If you look at that, and I'm not going to go over it again, it's a sign, and he tells us, he says, Listen, guys, I have started a new covenant. The old one has passed away. Behold, the new covenant is in the blood of Jesus Christ. That is that when he turned water into wine. 
Look in the second one. Look in John chapter 4, and let's look down in verse number 46. John chapter 4 and verse 46. Let me kind of give you what's going on. A nobleman comes to Jesus. A nobleman comes to Jesus. He has a, a son that is sick, and he says, Jesus, will you come to my house? And this is, this is how it starts. So Jesus came again unto Canaan of Galilee where he made the water into wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose, whose son was sick at Capernaum. And when he heard that Jesus was coming to Judea and to Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son. He had seen miracles done by Jesus, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except, hear this, except you see signs and wonders... You will not believe. The nobleman said unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus said, Go thy way, thy son liveth. Let me tell you what the miracle was right here. It was not that Jesus necessarily healed his son, but Jesus didn't have to come down here. He didn't have to be in your presence and heal you and heal you and here bless you. Jesus was nowhere close to this young man. He spoke the words, and the distance did not limit Jesus from being able to perform a miracle in that little boy's life. Distance didn't keep him away from being able to do it. I want you to know Jesus is the right hand of the Father and can change any one of our lives this morning if you'll let him. The only hindrance is you. Distance does not hinder him. That was the sign that was shown. Look in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, and look in verse number 5. Jesus goes, and he goes before the the synagogue, and it says in verse number 5, And a certain man was there which had an infirmity for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, he knew that he had been there for a long time. In that case, he said unto him, Would you be made whole? The impotent man answered unto him, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool, but while I was coming, another stepped down before me. And Jesus said unto him, Rise up, take up thy bed, and walk. And we know the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that this man is healed, and he gets up and he walks away. I mean, it caused a great fuss around there, because they knew this man had been there for 38 years. I want you to know, time does not hinder Jesus from doing what he needs to do. Well, Brother Wayne, you don't understand. I'm 90 years old. Well, if you want to let that hinder you from coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ, that's your problem. It's not his, though, because time does not hinder Jesus from doing anything. It didn't matter how long he'd been laid there sick. Time does not hinder him. He is letting everybody know. I've started a new covenant. I want you to know time does not limit me, nor does distance limit me. I can do all things. Second sign miracle. Third sign miracle. Look down with me in in, uh, uh, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We're going to start in verse number 7. Let me tell you what's taking place. What's taking place is Jesus has been performing a bunch of miracles. You know what people started doing when Jesus started performing a bunch of miracles? Man, everywhere he went, he had a crowd following him. 
The Bible says that Passover season was about around Jerusalem, so not even just a few people, but I mean masses of people were coming to Jerusalem. They began to follow Jesus. They followed Jesus out away from the city, and Jesus tells Philip, he said, hey man, let's get a bunch of food for these people. And Philip says, are you crazy? We can't feed all these people. He says, bring me what you have. Bring me what you have. He brought a little lad, and you can read this scripture. I'm not going to finish reading it. He says, the little boy brought five loaves and two fishes. I want you to know Jesus is not limited by substance. Jesus is not limited by your substance. He could take anything. And the Bible tells us he multiplied them five loaves and two fishes, and he fed over 5,000, and when they got through, he took up 12 more baskets of food. Jesus is not limited by time, distance, substance. Jesus is not limited. Let's look at the next one. It begins in verse number 16. We're going to just look at uh, uh, look in verse number 16. It says, and, and now, this is John chapter 6. I'm sorry, I'm talking too fast, I know. John chapter 6, and it says, And when evening was come, his disciples went down into the sea, and he entered into a ship. And they went over toward Capernaum, and it was now dark, and Jesus was not in there with them. Well, you read the rest of this. This is what happens. They go off. They're about three and a half miles out into the water. Next thing they know, they look over, and there comes somebody walking on the water. And it's Jesus. Do you remember another time when Jesus is asleep in the boat, and one of the disciples come to Jesus and says, Jesus... Don't you even care that we're sinking, that we're about to perish? Don't you even care? What did Jesus do then? He comes to the top of the... And he says, peace be still. Let me tell you what this miracle is telling us. Jesus is not limited by nature. Now we see where Jesus is... and, And listen... We see where Jesus has healed lots of diseases, and I want you to know, because of sin, cancer is a natural thing in the world today because of sin. Not because of God, but because of sin. Sickness, pneumonia, the reason my mom broke her arm, it's because of sin. Sin in the world, not because of something my mom necessarily done, but because because sin causes our bodies to decay. That's what's in the world. I want you to know... Jesus is greater than anything in nature's history. He's over nature. He controls nature. Jesus made nature. It's under the power of His hand. Peace be still and the seas and the wind stops. Water, just like concrete, if He wants it to be and walks out across it. That's what this miracle is telling us. Jesus is above nature. The next miracle we find in... in, uh, Chapter 9, in the first 12 verses of chapter 9. And what we find is they walk up on this blind man that was born blind. Now, there was a, it, it was different. It was different. It's kind of like, how many of you remember them old fuzzy TVs? You know, what did you do when, when you're sitting there and you're watching TV and all of a sudden it got fuzzy? What did you go do to it? What? Just... How many of you went up there and hit the top of it? Boom! Yeah. Man, our old black and white TV, if it'd go fuzzy, man, you'd go, boom, hit the top of it, boy, straighten right up. 
Hey, listen, that's kind of the way they felt about people who got a blindness maybe that 15 years old or 16 years old. They would think sometimes, you know, if you just hit that fellow just right, man, it tuned back in. But now listen, listen, someone born blind? No, that wasn't possible. That's not possible. Hey, listen, I want you to know here comes Jesus, and he heals this blind man that had been born blind. He was born from from birth. He was blind. And this is what this miracle tells us. This miracle tells us there is no condition that's too great for Jesus. No condition is too great for Jesus. Brother Wayne, you don't understand. I went to the doctor. Jesus is the great physician. You're going to the wrong doctor. Now, oh, don't, don't go out of here and say something I didn't say. I didn't just say that you shouldn't go to the doctor, okay? I didn't say that. You know, the only wisdom that the doctors have is what Jesus Christ allowed them to have. You know, the only medicine... The only medicine that this world has is because Jesus Christ allowed us to have the wisdom to produce the medicine that we have today. So don't go say that I... But I'm telling you, the greatest need, the greatest one that we can ever turn to about any situation in our life is Jesus Christ. You see, it's more than just Christmas and Easter. It really is. Do you you know what Jesus said when he was talking to the blind man? When he was talking to the blind man, he tells that blind man, he says... I am the light of the world. Do you know what he talked? Do you know what he said when he fed the five thousand? He told them, he says, "I am the bread of life." The last miracle that we read about is in, in, in John chapter eleven, and it's the whole chapter. But it's when he goes and he raised Lazarus from the dead. I want you to know, death is not too much for Jesus. When Jesus showed up at a funeral, it just ruined everything. Jesus showed up and they was carrying one old boy out on a board and, and the mama was crying and she said, this is my only son. And Jesus walked up and touched him on the hand and the boy just got up and went back home. Just ruined that funeral. But when Jesus goes and raised Lazarus from the dead, do you know what he told Mary? He says, Mary, I am the resurrection and I am. You see, these miracles that he performed right here at the end or in the book of John, they were not just miracles. They were signs. And the same Jesus that performed all those signs and all those wonders is the same Jesus that we are to put our faith and trust in who died on the cross and rose from the grave for salvation. He is the same one. There's no denying who Jesus Christ is. There is no denying who he is. Oh, my goodness. That we would only trust him like he is everything. We should wake up with his word or his name on our breath. We should go to sleep at night with his name on our breath. All through the day, we should... Excuse me, speaking of Jesus and who he is. Jesus is the answer to everything. I pray this morning that if he's not your everything, if Jesus is not the one that you're depending on for life today and eternity, that you will make Jesus the most important thing in your life. I just want to offer you that this morning. 
I hope that I have, by this message, offered you enough evidence to let you know that Jesus is who he says he is. And if you listen to the world around you, they will tell you that Jesus is a farce. I'm telling you, the foolishness of preaching the gospel is what the world will tell you. But I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus is, is, is the reason. Jesus is the answer to all we need. Let's stand together. Father, I again thank you for an opportunity to speak on your behalf. And God, I'm just doing my very best to use the words that you put in your scriptures and not my own. I just want to present to them your son Jesus, the Savior of the world. The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The one that loves us more than anyone else in all the world. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. I do pray that a person, every person in this room will acknowledge for themselves that you are Lord. And that then we would stand boldly proclaiming who you are in our life. Thank you again for this opportunity. Use this time for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You move.